This week on Daiwa, we're in Johnson County. A grocery store owner is shot dead after chasing a lady robber. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValle and Allie Tulin. Okay, we are in Johnson County this week. It's the fourth most populous county in Iowa on the eastern side of the state. It is, of course, home to Iowa City, Coralville, North Liberty, and Tiffin. And I'm assuming we've both been there. Definitely. Yeah, me too. Go Hawks. Did you hear that, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, getting called out. <laughs> okay, and are you ready for a really cool fun fact? I am. All right. Johnson County renamed the county after a different namesake. The county was originally named for Richard Mentor Johnson, who served as vice president under President Martin Van Buren in 1837. And knowing Richard Johnson today, I'm not sure if he has a great reputation. He was a slave owner from Kentucky who had two children with a woman who was enslaved to him. So, yikes. And also, he had no relationship or connections to the state of Iowa. So, in 2021, Johnson County's Board of Supervisors voted to rename the county after Lulu Merle Johnson, a professor and historian who was the first black woman to earn a PhD in Iowa. Very cool and very recent. I know. All right. Well, my fun fact is a short one, but I just think it's a cool thing about Johnson County. It was actually the first capital of Iowa. And so in 1839, long before Iowa became a state, Iowa City was designated that it would be the capital, but it didn't last long and eventually moved to Des Moines in 1857. Love that fun fact. I actually knew that one. I don't know why, but every single time we go to Iowa City, my dad says, Remember, this used to be the capital. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it does make sense. Iowa City, you know? I know. What was your most recent memory of Iowa City? Ooh, definitely like a family tailgate or a brother's college graduation. What about you? Kitty Gate. Kitty Gate. 2016. (laughs) When did he graduate? I think think that's right. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Love that. Um, my most recent memory, actually, I did the Iowa Writers Workshop, like the summer, it's kind of a summer camp, but for adults. When did you do that? And it was with my current job, maybe the first year of my current job. And anyways, it was like all really old retired ladies. And then there was this one younger guy in like his late 30s, maybe. And he's a really big foodie. So we just like went around and tried all the Iowa City restaurants. It was awesome. Doesn't Lena Dunham's character do that in Girls? Or did she actually get like accepted into a program? I can't remember. I have never seen that show. So. Wow, Beth. I know. This is why I'm not a real millennial. (laughs) Too funny. Well, let's get to the case. Warning, this one is a cold case. The year is 1966. Lyndon Johnson is president. We're in the midst of the Vietnam War. Sound of Music wins the Best Picture at the Oscars. And Adam Sandler is born this year. Good year. Good year. And on Monday, May 16th in Iowa City, 30-year-old Ronald Lipsius was managing his grocery store on South Summit Street called the Clover Farm Food Market. Ronald was a young, good-looking guy with dark hair. He had operated the grocery store for the past 15 months. He and his wife Rose had three kids and were expecting one more any day now. 
But Ronald was working in the store that morning when, according to papers from the time, someone described as a young, pudgy woman came in around 8.30 a.m. The woman asked for some sliced ham, and as Ronald started slicing, the woman grabbed the money from the cash register and ran out the door. Ronald ran after the woman and chased her down the sidewalk. The woman shot at Ronald but missed. Then she turned the street corner to run east, and Ronald continued following. He was close to grabbing her when she fired two more shots. Unfortunately, they hit Ronald in his right forearm and the other in his chest. Ronald threw up his arms and fell to the sidewalk, and then he was pronounced dead. Police received a call from someone at the Donald Todd home around 8.32 a.m., which was the house outside where Ronald had been killed. They got witnesses to describe the woman, and people said she was young and wearing horn-rimmed glasses, a scarf, and blue jeans. They guessed she was somewhere between 19 to 24 years old, 5 feet 9, and about 175 pounds. They also said the woman got into a car with a man after shooting Ronald. The man was described as about 20 years old, 5 foot 11, and also 175 pounds. He supposedly had on a brown suit, yellow sport shirt, and had sandy hair with, with angular features. It's believed they got into a used bluish-green 1965 or 66 Chevrolet. A soft drink delivery man who knew Lipsius said of him, quote, He was one of the nicest customers on my route. This kind of thing always happens to the nicest guys. The Iowa City Press Citizen, a local newspaper, reported two days later that it was accepting memorial contributions for the Lipsius family because so many people asked how they could help after Ronald was killed and knowing that his wife was due to have their fourth kid that same month. So that same day, a woman answering the general description of the female robber and her male companion were arrested in Des Moines. They were being held on charges for driving a stolen vehicle with Illinois license plates. The Iowa City police were taking several witnesses to Des Moines to view the subjects. Police also said the couple had a 25 caliber pistol in their possession, but Ronald was killed by a 22 caliber gun. The next day, it was reported that witnesses could not identify the pair, but we learned the amount of money stolen was only $35, which in today's dollars is about $324. Two weeks later, there was an update to the case. Iowa City police said they were searching for a 1958 auto in connection to the murder. They said the 1958 Pontiac four-door sedan, white over black, was in a minor collision with a truck shortly after the 8.30 robbery. This was only five blocks from the murder scene. The truck driver involved in the crash said the other car was occupied by a man and woman who took off fast after hitting the truck. So about two weeks later, it's announced that authorities had released a sketch of the woman. The sketch was made from descriptions by three witnesses and was being circulated to law enforcement agencies. The sketch features the woman with a long face, dark hair with a scarf over it, cat eye glasses, and dark lipstick. They also revealed that they had recovered three cartridge casings from a twenty-two caliber automatic used to kill Ronald and found several partial fingerprints in the store. Authorities had also reconstructed what they believed happened and think explains why Ronald chased the woman. They think the male companion first entered the store and asked Ronald for the sliced meat. Then, while Ronald was slicing the meat, the woman came in and tried to take money from the cash register. When Ronald saw her, the woman ran out so he pursued her, but stopped when she pulled a gun, fired, and missed. However, the man followed Ronald, and Ronald thought he was helping him in the chase, but was killed when the woman turned and fired at close range. The man kept running, and they both got in the car and sped away. 
Around the same time the sketches released, there was a woman suspect near Anamosa who was given a lie detector test, but the test indicated she was not in Iowa City the day of the murder and knew nothing about it. Then on May 29th, Ronald's widow, Rose, gives birth to their fourth child, a daughter named Carol, just 13 days after Ronald's murder. Mm, that's so sad. Yeah. So then seven weeks after Ronald's death, the Iowa City Press Citizen reported that police were still searching for Ronald's killer, but the case had entered a transitional stage because all leads searched came back with nothing. It was also said one of Ronald's friends was reopening the store, which had been closed since his murder. Our next update comes in 1974. The Des Moines Register ran an article titled, Unsolved Iowa Killings, Friends Still Feel Scars. The article said there were 60 unsolved murders in the state to date. Ronald's widow Rose was interviewed and said, quote, I was in a state of shock for days. For me, the world was kind of dead. I was numb. I was taking tranquilizers. The concern for the birth of my baby distracted my mind. After that, I was kept busy with four kids. She said her and the kids lived off $600 a month, mainly from Ronald's pension and social security. She added that she watched her kids closer than most parents because she didn't want anyone else to die. And for a long time, she had to force herself to do things that her and Ronald used to do together. She added, quote, For a time I was mad at God for taking my husband. But even with religion, you never really get over it. It's there, not as bad now. Seems like long ago it happened. Lots of times I've cried, but not when the children were around. Felt like it, but held back. Late at night with no one to support you or hang on to you is when you cry. Rose said she didn't want revenge, but really kind of wished they had caught the killer, who definitely was a woman. Two years later, in 1976, Iowa City Police revealed they had received an anonymous letter in August from a person in the Quad Cities that led to the capture of a prime suspect in Ronald's case. But now the suspect had been released by the Los Angeles authorities. Local officials couldn't understand why the suspect was released since she was being sought on a fugitive warrant, which normally directs that the person arrested be held without bond. County Attorney Jack Dooley was contacting California authorities to ask about the suspect's whereabouts, and may ask Scott County authorities and the Iowa Bureau of Adult Corrections extradition officers to return the woman to Iowa if she could be found. In the anonymous letter, the writer claimed to recognize the woman from the sketch drawing that appeared in their newspaper. The writer said the knowledge of this had eaten at her conscience for 10 years and decided to give police the name of the woman who resembled the drawing. They added that the woman had been placed on probation by a Scott County judge in 1962 following a conviction on an attempted murder charge. That probation, the writer believed, was subsequently revoked, but the woman was never recaptured. The writer also knew the woman had relatives in Norwalk, California, and she believed she might be living with them. An Iowa City detective and a Johnson County assistant attorney went to Davenport and obtained court records that verified the story. They also got a booking photo of the woman, which did resemble the sketch. They renewed the fugitive warrant, and on October 29th in Norwalk, California, deputies apprehended the woman on a traffic violation. However, she paid a fine on the traffic charge and was arraigned on the fugitive warrant from Iowa. The bond on that warrant was set at $10,000. However, on Monday, California authorities said the woman posted 10% of that figure through a bail bondsman and was released. The Norwalk authorities had no address for the woman. 
In 2006, the Cedar Rapids Gazette reported that police chiefs in Johnson County wanted to create a part-time cold case unit to dig into new leads that could help solve old murders. The current approach that they had been working with was when investigators had spare time or when new information came to light, they would start working on a case. The Iowa City police chief was quoted saying, We need partners. We can't do it ourselves. All of the departments are committed to it. It's just a matter of when we're going to be able to do it. And that's actually the last update we have on Ronald's case. Here's a little more about Ronald. He was born in Williamsburg, Iowa in 1935. He served two years in Korea, worked as an accountant and meat cutter before opening his own clover farm store in Iowa City. He married Rose, and they had two daughters and two sons, and he is buried in St. Joseph's Cemetery. Ronald's widow Rose stayed in Iowa City. She died in 2011 after battling cancer and is buried next to Ronald. Rose never remarried and raised her four kids, all under the age of three, on her own. Sounds like Rose had quite the life. The other thing we learned is that today Ronald's grocery store is now Deluxe Cakes and Pastries, so the building is still in Iowa City. Wow. Should we give Taps a call? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Taps. Thanks for joining. Hi. Hi. We are in Johnson County talking about the Ronald Lipsius case. Have you been to Johnson County? Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. I have been to Johnson County many, 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 many times. And? Actually took the bar exam in Johnson County. Oh, that's cool. Did you pass the first time? Yes, I did, which was an amazement to many people, I'm sure. (laughs) All right. Let's say in today's world, you're being robbed at a store. What's your advice to the person being robbed? Call the police. No, but like when they're actively being robbed. Oh, uh, conform, do what you're told, and call the police after they leave. I'm going to ask a controversial question. I think... There are rumors that when you call the police after being robbed, police tend to not really do anything about it because it's hard to track down the things. Robbery is a pretty big deal crime. So cops are pretty all over robberies. Um, it's a forcible felony. It's a pretty, I would say they, they're, it's investigated pretty thoroughly because robbery guys tend to be violent guys. The thing about today's society is most robberies of businesses, there's always video now because everything's on camera. Okay. Okay. In this case, police had a suspected vehicle that they couldn't track down in the case. How hard would you say that is today? If you had a type of vehicle, like what would you do with that information? That's tough because if it's a, in today's world, let's say it's a Honda Civic. Yeah. Think of the ubiquitous nature of Honda Civics everywhere you go. 
but you still have so, the year, the color. Uh, yeah, if you had a year and a color, you could narrow it down a little bit, but even in Johnson County, so today I would guess that Johnson County's 100 to 150,000 people. How many cars of the same year make would be in Johnson County in the database? Lots. So without a plate, without some other descriptors on the car, I don't know. It'd be tough. I'm just thinking, didn't it really help solve um, the Idaho case? They had video of that car. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was nice. And plus, I would guess that that wasn't a very populated area. So easier to find the vehicle. Right. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. Bear with me. My next thought slash question Also in this case, 10 years after the killing, an anonymous source came forward, said they knew a woman who resembled the sketch of the killer. The woman had previously been uh, placed on probation in Scott County, Iowa, on an attempted murder charge, but then it was revoked and she was never recaptured. But police ended up catching her the 10 years later in California on a traffic violation, but she posted like the minimum bail and was released. And the guy in Iowa said, the problem is we can't extradite the woman as a suspect. We would have to seek her return on the fugitive warrant from Scott County, and then we could question her. Why is that? Well, I would assume they did not have enough for a warrant for her arrest for the murder. And you can't just question somebody. They would have to volunteer to come in. No, you could absolutely question them, but you would have to send detectives to California to find her and then do that. Is it a matter of California detectives cooperating then and saying like you, it's worth their effort to track this lady down? You could have done that. You may have had the California detectives try to interview her, which probably would be a mistake because they didn't really know the case that well. Yeah. But in today's world, we would have sent detectives to California to question her. And then if you have enough, then you get a warrant and then you get a governor's warrant for the extradition if she fights the extradition. To me, just reading between the lines, the woman that called in knew something. It was more than just, I, I think I recognized that. You know, I mean, think about that. 10 years later and she remembers the composite drawing. Yeah. And then, no, she knew something. She either knew the lady or, I mean, that's my belief. If somebody leaves an anonymous tip like that, can you go back and make it so it's not anonymous? Or is there like a way to expose who sent in the tip? Depends on how they contacted you. Mm. Nowadays, obviously, if they call, call you, it's pretty easy to trace it back. Or even on the internet, if they would leave you something, it's probably pretty easy to find it. But okay. back then, who knows? And then, sorry, one more question. <laughs> what is your experience with using sketch artists? Like, is that a common practice still today? Yeah, they still uh, do it. Um, there's actually software that that's sold now where you use the software to put together the sketch. Um, I was just going to say, you got to get chat GPT on the case. <laughs> what? That can draw pictures, too. I'm pretty sure if you enter in like the what people have said the descriptions are, it'll come yeah. up with a picture. Yeah. Dang. Um, I have seen sketches that are pretty darn close to the people that were arrested. 
but I've also seen sketches that look just like the person that was performing the sketch for the witness. They were just looking at the guy while they were doing the sketch. And all of a sudden the sketch starts looking like the guy that was given the instructions. Mm. So I, I, I have not had that great success with them. Is the artist a cop themselves usually, or is it somebody you have like an actual artist you hire on the side? It depends on the department. I think smaller departments, it'll probably be a cop, whatever. And bigger departments, it'll probably be their crime scene technicians. There's usually somebody in a bigger department trained to do that uh, stuff. I take you back to Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Mm-hmm. Remember that sketch that was out there? It was pretty close to what he looked like. Yeah. Okay. Do you think we'll ever know who actually killed Ronald? I would guess that it's it's pretty fleeting. The, the longer it goes, when you get a case that's that old, everybody's dead. Witnesses are dead. Victims are dead. Obviously, a victim's dead. Uh, suspects are dead. It's just very, very difficult. Unless somebody passed information down to somebody or whatever, I just don't see how you'd solve it. Sad. And then this is just a random thought, but I thought this story was really cool because while researching, we kept seeing newspaper articles about like the community getting together and raising like a tuition fund for the victim's family or hosting a charity dance, things like that. Do you think that's something that is more common in the Midwest or Iowa specifically, or do you think that happens? I think it happens all over the country, but I think I would like to think that it happens more in Iowa because people are just more connected, better connected, whatever. But um, Do you experience it a lot with cases you've worked over the years? Yeah, there's been some philanthropy that's occurred over victims that have been you know, left children, especially, or something like that, where they've raised money and, and helped them out. Um, tragically, where I've seen it the biggest in the last 10 years or so, when cops get killed, seems like the community comes together and puts together a lot of money for the kids or whoever. This right. is a super tangent. Sorry. No, go for it. There was a cop at Temple University that guy just killed. got killed and we were downtown philly the other day and like the entire main downtown strip was blocked off and there were probably hundreds of police officers and people out there like for hours what do you just know, mourning this person was it the funeral because isn't there something about a group that protests cop and military members funeral those uh westboro baptist they've kind of gone away i haven't um, heard about them for a long time but if it was a cop funeral it's always just freaking huge with i mean lots of uniforms lots of cruisers whatever it could have been a memorial service for them or something like that it was not a protest it was like the vibe was very sad for oh no and i mean the whole day i meant like like in the past i think we, i had done this as a kid once before like you attend the like drive by just to block out any possible protesters so like we would line the streets if like a military member passed away because this group of protesters would come into town oh interesting yeah yeah, about 15 years ago, there was a group out of Kansas from the Westboro Baptist Church that protested military and police funerals. Very ultra-conservative people that thought that 
um, God was punishing us for the inclusion of gay people and things like that. And that we military and cops deserve to die because they were defending immoral things. And so they would, they would try to block those people out with actual sympathizers to the funeral or whatever to keep them away. Cause they'd have really hideous signs and things like that, that would upset the families. That is like so many leaps and bounds away from any actual purpose. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, pretty sad one, but thank you for joining. We'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.